Hi, I'm Kieran Cook, and welcome to At Source Podcast, a place where natural health and well-being are at the forefront of the conversation. Gain useful insights direct from the source from doctors, industry experts, wellness advocates, and everything in between. This is a place for busy people who want to get to the core of health and wellness with information about the latest health advances and trends. In this series, we talk with and learn from inspiring leaders from all walks of life, touching on important topics that will help answer some of the key questions about natural health, well-being, fitness, and all things direct from the source. Aaron Schultz founded the Outback Mind in 2019, establishing it as a health promotion charity, the Outback Mind Foundation, in 2022. Having managed male teams across the construction, mining and manufacturing industries, Aaron could see the need for a preventative approach to mental health to help men in regional Australia. Previously suffering from anxiety and burnout in his own life, Aaron became a teacher of yoga, meditation and anxiety management education. From local events to online toolboxes, Aaron has grown the Outback Mind Foundation from regional Queensland to serve larger regional communities. In this episode, we cover Aaron's journey, turning his life around and starting the foundation stigma attached to mental health for men and starting important conversations. Welcome, Aaron. So to get us started, the big million dollar question, you must always get asked this at the front of any of these interviews. I'd just love to hear a bit more about what you do at the Outback Mind Foundation. Um, I've had a good look on the website it's a super website. Um, so maybe we'll just kick off right there and then we'll, we'll do a deep dive. Yeah, thanks so much. And I uh, really appreciate you, um, you know, reaching out and, and trying to create awareness about uh, men's well-being. Primarily, um, to give you a bit of a, 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 an idea of, of, of why this came about, um, I had a long career managing men in the workplace, um, you know, through a labour-hired company. I worked for a couple of big ones. Uh, I managed lots of guys across uh, various industries and various levels. Um, and I got burnt out myself because I was so busy. Uh, and I got no support uh, when I was looking for support. It was really just clinical. So it was basically being reactive. It wasn't being proactive and uh, trying to put me on medication and all this sort of stuff. And really all I needed to do was... Uh, you know, uh, I suppose emotionally unload things that were that were being trapped inside me. But then I saw what I was going through. Everyone else, pretty much around me, was going through the same thing. You know, so we've got a really reactive culture here in Australia with regards to mental health. It's uh, pretty much around crisis support and waiting until someone's got something wrong before you know something's done. And unfortunately, a lot of guys here in Australia don't get to that stage because basically they take their own lives. And it's, um, there's a lot, particularly in this region, um, you know, because it's quite an industrial region. Um, you know, guys get stuck in their emotions. So, yeah, but what, sorry, what region's that? Just just for the sake of our listeners, because we have listeners all around the place. So, yeah, well, in central Queensland, Australia. Yep. Yeah. So, primarily, this is. Uh, uh, like a mining community, I suppose, in many ways, but also it's agricultural as you go out west and, uh, and so forth too. I originally come from uh, country Victoria, uh, where it's uh, quite similar in many ways, very stoic, um, you know, and uh, I guess, you know, I was brought up in that environment. I didn't know any other way, and I sort of uh, had to, you know, get to the bottom of the barrel to be able to work my way out. So personally for me, uh, I've, I've been on a, a, a journey for about 15 years of um 
uh, self-discovery and self-growth. Um, and basically, uh, that, that took a lot of work to be able to you know, shift uh, the blocked emotions that I had in, inside me, which was suppressed for a long time. So the Outbet Mind Foundation is really about, you know, trying to give guys uh, an opportunity and a space to, um, to to freely express what's going on in a safe, non-judgmental environment. We have um, men's circles set up here, and my vision is to be able to uh, you know, establish men's circles all throughout Australia and potentially even New Zealand, possibly down the track. Oh, that's interesting. Like, yeah, so I think what we do in Australia is great, and this could potentially be expanded to New Zealand. It's interesting because I had a couple of people reach out to me about that, whether we did uh, do stuff over there. So... Mm. We don't get any funding. We don't, um, you know, have any uh, any real assistance. Uh, but you know, we have, a, as I said, a really reactive culture here in Australia, where all the money goes to crisis support. It doesn't actually go to prevention, and that's mm. really topsy turvy. You know, I think we've got an ass about. We need to be able to sort of, you know, redirect the way we do things in the future um, to be able to help guys um, to be more emotionally mature and emotionally aware. A lot of us have got the, the maturity of a, of a 15, 16 year old boy. A lot of our emotions get stuck there. I'm going to actually like um, know how to express ourselves because basically a lot of that um, uh, formulation of, uh, of our attitude towards ourselves gets uh, formed in school. And uh, really, you know, we okay. don't yeah, develop yeah. further. So that, that arrested emotional development that you've just, you know, I guess. I had that insight around um, in those teenage years. Why is that 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 boys that age and stage don't really kind of evolve past that? You've you've had that insight. Yeah, sure. Certainly, um, I believe the educational system is is quite redundant in many ways. Um, the the fear model, the shame model, the guilt model is very very entrenched. Uh, and a lot of you know young guys. Uh, I was one of them. It's still going on to this day. Um, you know, guys are feeling, or young men and also women are feeling like very um, uh, judgmental of themselves and critical of themselves, and they're not being able to really express themselves. Mm. You know, and, and a lot of us get stuck there. You know, a lot of us get blows to our heart when we're young, and that stays with us unless we're able to, you know, release them. Um, and that that pretty much happens, you know, in those formation years between 12 and 18, primarily. You know, and a lot of that. Mm. Uh, Stays in our bodies, and we suppress it with alcohol, we suppress it with all sorts of things. But our emotional maturity doesn't really develop until we actually like take steps to to do that. So, to give you an idea, we had a men's circle last night. There was maybe 20, 25 guys there, just in a small town uh, in Agnes Water, and um, you know, uh, probably five or six of those guys were were new, and the fear that they had to actually just show up was was incredible for them. Once they got there and we actually started speaking and, and giving them a chance to talk about stuff, they actually like felt like they had a really great emotional release. And it's like you have a cleanse. So so to give you an idea, it's like a few beers will, will squash that. When you're actually being able to verbalise it, it actually opens it up. And, um, you know, when you can do that, you take yourself on a, on a pathway of self-discovery and self-growth rather than self-doubt you know, suppression, I guess, at the end of the day. And, you know, a lot of this stuff isn't our fault. We've been programmed to drink. We've been programmed to do all these things. Um, you know, the society expects us to do work hard and play hard, and, um, you know, booze and all that sort of thing. But really, it doesn't help us. And, you know, I, yeah. 
I've been fortunate, you know, as I've sort of mentioned, managed so many guys over so many years, and seeing seeing guys get to the end of their lives and they're into their uh, their journey and, and the regrets that they had. You know, I want to be able to help young people or you know more people um, in general to be able to sort of have that realization now, so they don't feel stuck their whole lives. Yeah, I'm just just interested in that. Um, I guess the aha moment for for guys when they you know, you talk about sort of busyness at work and I guess that combination point where guys just go, you know, something's wrong, um, I need help, or maybe they don't even realise that they need help and it's this overwhelming feeling where stuff's not working for them anymore. At what age and stage do you feel like this is sort of happening now to guys or has been happening to guys? Um, what do you think? It still, it still goes on into the 60s, 70s and beyond, you know. Right. Male suicide in Australia is pretty much a crisis point between sort of 35 and 45. That, that's the, you know, the years that the, the self-doubt really kicks in and the worthlessness and all that too. Um, so that's, that's really the um, uh, the It's pretty young, isn't it? People, absolutely. Yeah, in Australia it's pretty much our crisis point is between 35 and 45. Uh, that's when guys are experiencing um, you know, a lot of self-doubt and worthlessness mm. too. Um, and, and a lot of guys in that bracket, uh, unfortunately, can't see a way out and they take their own lives. So when we get to that stage, it's like being at the bottom of the pendulum and you just can't sense, feel, um, you know, yeah. uh, you can't see a way out of this. But to be able yeah. to, um, um, you know, I suppose you slowly realise where you're at. And I was there myself 15 years ago, you know. I know what it's like to feel that way. Yes. Yeah. I was going to talk to you about that. So so, so for yourself, was this linked to uh, a lot of busyness, not taking breaks, not looking after yourself, having a healthy lifestyle? Um, or were there other emotional factors going on in your own, I guess, in your own world where – you know, you knew things needed to change. I'm just interested in what were the con- key contributing factors. Yeah. Back then it was just all I could think about was work, you know. Okay. And, uh, I, I couldn't really relax without having a few beers and that. And, um, oh, yeah. You know, and that disrupts the sleep and all that type of thing. But then it's like get up, get on with it, do it again, get up, get on with it, do it again, you know, that repeat cycle. And- yeah, hamster on a wheel, Yeah. That, that's right, and and the bank balance is looking okay because there's money going in there because you're working hard, but mm. I'm internally or disorganised, you know. What yeah. what what I had to do was reorganise myself and uh, and go back in and uh, and realise where those um uh, I suppose uh, imbalances were, and then be able to work on those imbalances to move forward, you know. Mm. So uh, so you sort of started doing some work on yourself, uh, making some changes, which. So so how did how did you do that? How did you do the reset? Well, it's really interesting how the the universe provides signs for us. Um, and you know, I was unconscious of this back then, but uh, I was really stressed out. And I went to a GP and I said, "Look, this is what's going on for me. I'm not getting any support from work. So work support. I thought I was great because I was bringing in lots of money and yeah, uh, myself. But they didn't give a shit about my uh, emotional Mental health. No. Yeah. And it wasn't really a thing back then, you know, in 2007 or eight. So, um, you know, you'd be called a weak bastard here in Australia because there was something wrong. Yeah. Uh, probably similar in New Zealand. But um, so I, I went to a GP and uh, the GP said you can do two things. You can take pills or exercise. Oh. So I was quite unfit, you know. Um, I just lived on 
fast food because I was traveling a lot and eating whatever I could on the run and just focused mm. on getting the job done. Um, that night I got home with it in a small regional area where we never got junk mail and there was a, a slip in the mailbox to say that the first 24-hour gym in Australia was going to open, uh, uh, basically close to where I lived, uh, you know, 20 k's or 30 k's from where I lived. So I thought, right, this is my, my ticket, this is my sign-up. We'll get in there early before anyone else so no one can see me. What was that about? (laughs) Well, in the back of the mind, I always wanted to go to the gym and get fit, but I was always worried about what people thought about me. There's lots of guys. Being seen, yeah. Yeah, because I come from a small country town, that judgment is so strong, you know. Uh, Okay. Uh, So for me to be able to go in there when no one was around, look myself in the mirror and just do things and not be judgmental of myself. And I did that every morning for two years and transformed um, the way I felt felt, um, you know, emotionally and physically. That's amazing. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's huge. That's huge, that commitment. Yeah, well, I knew that I had to do something. The other option was to take medication. If I'd have done that, then more than likely I would have ended up, um, you know, on that hamster wheel and yeah. uh, still on it, you know, and I just believe mm. this is where we've got an ask about. We need to take a proactive approach to well-being and GPs yeah. need to be doing exactly what that guy did to me rather than just giving him, uh, you know, a prescription for something. And it's very common here in Australia, uh, you know, um, it's probably similar over there that uh, the guys have just given uh, chemical enhancement rather than a proactive um, solution. Doesn't always work anyway, right? I mean, I listened to one of your podcasts recently on depression and all the trialling with all these drugs for depression, treatment for depression, in and out of that, it doesn't always work anyway. No, that's right. It's a temporary, temporary measure. Yeah. Uh, Unfortunately, what happens in Australia is dependence uh, makes money and uh, we, we exactly. don't guide people towards independence. That's so right. to give you an idea, I, I took a journey from there uh, on self-discovery and um, managing all those guys for so long, I was actually really um, uh, dedicated to uh, looking after them and uh, making sure that they were, they were happy and well. But uh, one thing that, uh, that 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 occurred to me was I I engaged lots of large employers, and uh, none of them took a preventive approach to looking up the people. They always had an EAP in place, so if something was wrong, you go to the you know go to go to them and get it sorted out. We don't want to know about it. Um, so I uh, you know started to be curious and started to do what I could to um, you know do some work at workplaces to be able to help them educate how to look after their people better, and that took me. Mm. To, a role with the Tasmanian government as a workplace health advisor. So I was in there um, looking at well-being of staff, you know, across 12,500 staff of, um, of that particular department, um, the Department of Health. And, you know, I was just trying hard to put a preventative approach in place because they had lots of stress, um, you know, with people in the medical system. Uh, and that sort of uh, didn't discriminate from the surgeon all the way down to the elderly, you know. Uh, because of shift work. Shift work is not good for our, uh, our mental mm. health. You know, and lots of the yes. in those, in those um, industries are subject to shift work. And we That's need to right. regulate properly and proactively if we do that rather than through alcohol and drugs and stuff. That's right. So, yeah, so I, I went in um, to a role like that to basically uh, get a bird's eye view of how it all worked. And as I mentioned, um, you know, the dependence model is really entrenched within governments. They actually want to try and keep people on a pathway yeah. rather than independence, you know. Mm. 
unhealthy people are good for the economy. Exactly. And, uh, drug yeah. drug companies want to keep people on, you know, pharmaceuticals and yeah. that's it. That's right. Yeah, mm. so people like me talking about a different way because, you know, mm. people really fix themselves physically, mentally, mm. if they've been given the tools to do so. And that's what we do with this charity is we try and help people with that guidance and those those um, self-empowerment solutions, I guess, rather than disempowerment solutions. Mm, exactly. So this this will be, you know, I guess it leads to my question, you know, about how your personal story, I guess, started feeding into the Outback Mind Foundation. So I guess your work, you know, about wellness in the workplace would have been a sort of an organic next step to the Outback Mind Foundation. So you would have had, you would have cut your teeth in that workplace role right you would have had a lot of learnings there and then that next step no doubt would have been the outback mind foundation yeah yeah really great question what happened was with that fitness journey for me in 2007 and beyond like i i got myself really fit and i started to competing things and and do really well but really i hadn't figured myself out emotionally mm. I had a lot of as i said a lot of the things that got trapped inside me as a teenager were still there and um, it wasn't until I started to um, learn meditation. I learned meditation through uh, the Buddhist center in Hobart. Um, oh, wow. so, okay. Uh, it was me and uh, monks and, um, you know, for, for someone that had a bit of a stoic um, uh, <laughs> stoic uh, personality, it was a real surrender to, okay, I, I don't know anything about life. I'm going to learn yeah. what it's all about, you know. Tell and, me about that. What did you do? Yeah, just basically had to sit on, on uh, hard floors with, my legs crossed um, with with people sitting around me uh, meditating um, in cold environments like you know Hobart's not a, not a warm place. So having to do that and push through pain was uh, like nothing I'd ever done before physically. Mm. A lot of bits that I did were very challenging, but mm. sitting still for me because I had a busy mind. Yes, yes. Oh my goodness, I don't know if I could do that. Yeah, yeah. Well, really, it's really uh, you know what we feel uncomfortable with is what we need to do. Mm. You know, so I sort of saw that, okay, this is this is what I need to do. This is teaching me something. And um, primarily um, I, I stuck with it and I, I kept going. From there I started to, to do yoga regularly, uh, physical practice of yoga. And what I found how was long, that, I was going to just ask you how long did that, you know, this, this getting close to the Buddha Centre in Hobart, this, this process, how long did this take? Yeah, it took uh, probably going in and out of there for a couple of years. And I used, oh, wow. to, I used to run men's circles in there with one of the monks. Mm. So, um, so the monk would sit next to me and I'd bring people in and he'd just uh, chip away with a bit of philosophy, philosophy oh, yeah. of mind and well-being and that type of thing. Mm. Mm. Um, so, yeah, so I did that and then I wanted to explore more. So the physical practice of yoga come in. I yes. was doing your classes a week. and um, How many? About 20. So, so 20? Of three a day and then two on a Sunday, pretty wow. much. And um, yeah, so uh, I really pushed myself hard physically to be able wow. to you know, figure my body out more and the alignment of my body and my mind and my heart, you know, getting back mm. to what. So, so I was at a class one lunchtime and um, I got a strong voice to say, quit your job, go back to Horsham and start teaching yoga. So this is when I was in that health advisor role. I got paid really well. I went back at lunchtime after lunch and um, I looked at all the decision makers when a board meeting and they were all overweight and unhealthy and I thought, well, I don't, mm. want, to, oh, I don't want to be like that. So I'm going back to do what um, 
my higher self wants me to do. So I come from Outback Victoria. Um, I went back there to um, to uh, help my dad out, uh, who was um, who was old. Um, so I went back to be around him, and uh, primarily started to teach yoga in the community. And very, as I said, a very stoic um, uh, place or uh, region. Uh, yeah. People, mainly women, and then a few guys come, and all of a sudden, those guys were getting great physical results. They were football players that helped them to be uh, more calm, but also perform better through their bodies. And then, yeah. you know, a few more players come, and the whole club come. And you know, one club that I taught um, I went through the whole year uninjured and won a, won a premiership. Um, had a netball club that had lost, you know, four grand finals in a row come. And then they started to engage me to work with them independently, um, you know, eight weeks out before a grand final, uh, the mm. four years before, and I helped them learn to settle their mind down and ah. help them um, to overcome their self-doubt and they won that premiership. So so the Outback Mind was all around, uh, you know, the regional Australian uh, culture, but also understanding that you are not your mind. There's so mm. much... Just what your mind is telling you, you know. Mm. It took me what, a lot. What piece, of, what piece of advice would you give to guys that are kind of all locked up, you know, guys that are just can't sort of let it out and just just really not in touch with their feelings and but want to be? Yeah. Because I mean, all these all these things are interconnected. So, what if you can't get up to the Buddhist center in in Hobart and have that luxury to to be still and do all that discovery and I'm just listening to the investment of time with three yoga classes a day and two on a Sunday and mm. and then quietening your mind and this arrested emotional development that you're talking about in a, in a male sort of, um, I guess, growth period and adolescence. And and I'm just, you know, thinking about these, these guys that are all locked up and just desperately need to unlock you know how do you actually do it in this busy modern world of ours how do you actually grapple with it if you don't have all these resources at your fingertips it's probably easier now than what it was back then because we do have the resources like apps and so forth and um you know a variety of different pathways that we can tune into but all it takes is commitment you've got to say i've got to do this on a daily basis you know and i've got to keep showing up our guys will make all the excuses under the sun not to do that. Primarily, if we say, I know I, 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 I'm, I'm struggling here, I've got to do something, and you insource it rather than outsource it. So look at what you actually need yourself and then find something which you're comfortable with to do, uh, and that basically will be a pathway for you to start to move forward. So, you know, there's some great apps like Get Some Headspace and that which can teach you how to settle your mind down. Once you settle your mind down, you get back to this pure sense of who you actually are again, available to all of us. Mm. One thing that was tremendous for me, I've done lots of work in workplaces, but I've taught yoga in maximum security prison. Uh. Maximum security prison is a highly entertained people. Uh, yes. Once I put them through a practice, they get back to their feeling of self again, and you see the pure essence of who they are, and, and they're just being traumatised and the boys have been punished for trauma. It's not their fault. Mm. You know, so I guess at the end of the day, um, uh, you know, we've all got that within us, and we need to be able to reach more people so we can help people on pathways to do that. But as I mentioned, all it is is just showing up every day and doing something different. You keep doing the same stuff, you're going to get the same result. But if you actually like decide you want to make some yeah. change, 
make yeah. some small changes that aren't overly uh, overwhelming. Yes. Leads to big well, I think there's something in that. Do the same stuff, you're going to get the same result. Make yeah. some small changes, the rudder is going to move in a slightly different direction and there's going to be a different reaction. Tell me about your feelings uh, about what you're noticing in the regions versus metro areas. I'm just interested in that because here in New Zealand, there's been quite a bit of work done with farmers and farming communities, mental health uh, for farmers, which hasn't been great. Um, you know, obviously just working in remote places, you know, in isolation has been pretty tough for farmers here. Um I'm just imagining it's probably similar in Australia. Just, just interested in your thoughts around that, you know, state of mind in the re- in the regions. Yeah, there's definitely, um, you know, there's lots of discussions happening. Um, there's obviously a bit more focus around regional health uh, these days, but also there's not a lack of support services out there, you know. So, farmer mm-hmm. um, at the road is struggling with something. Um, they've got no one locally. They've got to make a phone call to somewhere in Brisbane or whatever. Yeah. My vision with this charity is to be able to actually employ people in those regions where they can work, you know, part-time to be able to do prevention work consistently and to be able to, uh, you know, have some funding which can help us uh, be there for that support uh, if mm. need. So, you know, to have um, a regular uh, communication chat or an in-circle regularly uh, that uh, mm. people, which keeps them self-regulated and balanced. Um, rather than, you know, waiting till something's wrong um, and then doing something about it. Yeah, we, we, when you've got a group of guys together and, and they start to express, um, you know, what's happening for them, there's usually yes. other environment that are going through the same things or have gone through the same things. Mm. So that self-empowerment and that support is, is developed then, uh, whereas when a guy's isolated and they're stuck in their own thoughts consistently, yeah. it's very hard to shift that, yeah. Yeah, yeah, there's something in that. Um, about being alone and stuck in your own thoughts. That seems to be sort of a self-perpetuating cycle, right? So there is something to be said for sort of getting together with other guys and sort of sharing, and and that's something that you do. I I had a look on your website. You've got these groups, right, that get together. Um, What do you call them? You call them, uh, are they they sort of like support groups? Uh, Men's circles. Yes, that's it. Tell us about that. Tell me about that. Yeah, so uh, basically, when I first, I actually started doing these like back at the Buddhist Centre, you know, years ah. ago. Uh, and then when I went back to Victoria, I started them there. Guys used to park their car two kilometres away and walk in so no one would see them. You oh, know, yeah. my sort of uh, thing with the gym, uh, all about what, worrying about what people think. Um, so, you know, when I moved up here, I started one in a small town called Agnes Water, which is, you know, maybe 3,000 people there. And, there was the same sort of, you know, um, feeling. Stigma. Yeah, same stigma. And, you know, a few guys come, then a few more, and, and then people are moving to the community and um, uh, they haven't got connection. Rather than mm. go connection, which is false energy, come to something like this, which is self-developing and, and capacity building. Yes. So I have, you know, up to 100 guys coming in there. Oh, wow. And uh, it's so powerful, um, you know. Yeah. People, Starting to grow and uh, and develop. We've had, you know, everything from a twelve-year-old boy to an eighty-year-old band come through. You know, wow. Um, you'd ha- you'd literally have that age range. Yeah, absolutely. And um, you know what what we miss out uh, on. And there's a lot. This is another area that I need to do more work. There's lots of you know, young guys that have got no male role models in their lives. Right. Yeah. You know, 
and male influencers. And if they could come, you know, to an environment like this where they feel safe and supported, it actually helps them. Yeah. Uh, ahead. Yeah. That young boy, uh, his mother reached out to us and said, look, you know, I can't get any support for my son. So we come along with another guy and uh, and that sort of helped him uh, mm. you know, on a bit of a pathway. And, you know, we try and open it up to all ages, but... Um, um, you know, certainly uh, the guys, the guys that are older, the older generations are still in that, you know, stuck emotion, mm. uh, emotions like you said, you know, that mm. they developed years ago and, uh, and this has actually helped them move through that. So when they do finish this life, they actually feel free, you know. Yeah, um, yeah. And freedom is available to all of us. We've just got to, like, learn how to um, and be vulnerable enough to, to access it, I guess, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So that's interesting. So, is it are these? Would you say that these are the self-regulation workshops that you offer? Is is it, this is them? Absolutely. We we do we do the self-regulation stuff um, in the workplace uh, and at sporting clubs. So it's being able to help them shift gears from being in tension back into a calm, natural, balanced state again. You know. Uh, yeah. And, it's very challenging because, um, you know, a lot of employees don't want to engage in this sort of stuff. They'd rather mm. have something wrong and send the guy to the EAP. But if you do uh, uh, prevention, the return on investment is significant, you know, and a lot of uh, organisations and, and people in general have got a reactive approach and a proactive approach. This is all about being proactive and helping. Yeah, so the, so the self-regulation workshops are more workplace-focused. Pretty much, yeah, but they also come into the men's circles too. So oh, okay. we'll, do, we'll do some things in the men's circles which can help people learn to to calm down. So last night, if you look on LinkedIn uh, or Instagram or Facebook, you'll see a post that I did about last night's circle. The discussion was all around fear. So everyone got a chance to talk about what what fear has been trapped within them uh, throughout their life, what, what they're struggling with at the moment, um, you know, what's been the biggest challenges with fear. And it's amazing, you know, what what come come out. You know, there's guys from the youngest guy was 28 last night. The oldest guy was 70, um, and and their experiences and stories were very similar. So that 28 year old would be waking up with a totally different mindset today uh, because he's actually heard, you know, what he doesn't want to do. Now he's got the tools to be able to move forward uh, through that by being able to regulate and do things which keep him balanced and grounded. Uh, rather than, uh, I suppose, looking outside himself or something, you know. So mm. in, the, in the circles, like last night we finished and we did a meditation practice and I showed them how to re- remove fear through a meditation practice that can actually help them, you know, learn a bit of, um, uh, I suppose, self-esteem and self-awareness rather than actually like just empowering themselves into self-doubt and fear, you know, which can be really, really uh, hard to shift. So I... Through through yoga and, and you know all the stuff that I've learned, I've actually been really lucky to learn different techniques which which can shift and shift us through different emotions. Mm. Uh, is what we try and teach, um, you know, to empower people to be able to be more proactive with their mental health when they're feeling <clears throat> a little bit um, a little bit out of sorts, you know, uh, in a fair, a state of fear or shame or guilt or whatever, how to be able to move through that and come back to a sense of self worth again is really really. Mm. That, that's that's, that's powerful stuff. And and how are these guys hearing about all this? You know, how are they coming in and filling a room? We have people uh, come from Bundaberg at you know, 150 k's away um, to some of them. And um, it's just through word of mouth that people come and they talk about it. And they said, oh, you know, I got so much from that last night. Okay. Uh, you know, and, uh, 
yeah, you know, you see you see people that um, walk into a room quite reserved and stuck and they leave the room just feeling yeah. so better because they've had yeah. a relief. When we get to talk about stuff, it's like having a cleanse, you know? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And you're hearing yourself and others and that, and then you get out of your mind, you know? Mm. It is, yeah, this is the philosophy of the outback mind. It's to have a, a balanced a balanced approach to life and have a freedom, sense of freedom about you. Rather That's than- right. Yeah. That's right. And so you've sort of touched on, you know, physical health playing a role in improving mental health because you you started your own journey in transforming your physical health for two years quietly, <laughs> mm. sort of where no one could see you. And then you had this sort of transformational change where that kind of got your head straightened out, but you still recognized that you weren't quite sorted, that yes, you looked better in the mirror, but you still had some baggage. So you sort of headed up to Hobart and sat on a cold floor and some cold temperatures and did some stuff that was painful in a different dimension, right? Um, yeah. What about what about diet? Let's talk about diet and the power that that has to improve mental health. What's your, what's your thoughts around that? Uh, pretty, pretty deep. Um, it's interesting. I, I went to uni to study nutrition uh, mm-hmm. uh, 10 or so years ago, and uh, I, I learned that, in Australia, we're, we're programming people to do the same things. You know, your body type's different than me, and uh, and all that. And I thought this isn't really right. So I, I actually walked away from that. I went and learned holistic nutrition, or studied holistic nutrition about you know working with the type of your body, um, you know, working with the seasons, all that type of stuff, which can keep you more into a flow state rather than um, you know out of balance. Um, and I, I saw too. That 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 uh, you know, I suppose the, the traditional educational model sort of feeds into the pharmaceutical model really well. Um, but you know, we need to be able to figure out what it is that keeps us feeling vibrant. You know, our body's giving mm. us consistently all the time. We've got to be able to learn to listen to the body. Um, and uh, you know, my diets are primarily went from being you know quite quite whole foods. I went I went vegan. I went raw vegan. Um, I travelled around the world looking at the healthiest cultures and what they actually did uh, with their diets. And now I sort of got back to, a, now I'm 51, uh, just to balance within myself, which, um, which is eating two meals a day rather than, you know, consistently, and that sort of works best. Yes. Yeah. But, yeah, it's just a matter of um, yeah, figuring out what makes you feel okay and doesn't make your ego feel okay. Like sugar will be great. It will give you a temporary uh, temporary. Yeah. Every sense of pleasure and joy, but yeah, you're going to kick it in the ass after that. So it's a matter of. <laughs> so are you are you eating meat or are you you're vegan? Back to eating a bit of fish now. Oh, you're fish, so you're pescatarian. Yeah, yeah. So I just yeah. found, look, primarily too. Uh, I looked into it pretty deeply, and uh, the quality of our food here is not as what it once was. So a lot of the meat that's being produced is being mass produced, and it's hormone um, enhanced. Uh, so, you know, for, for me to be able to get access of, uh, access to quality food that hasn't got any of that enhancement is, is challenging. But yeah. I know it's, it's, it's caught out free range in the ocean without any, um, any enhancement. So for me personally, that's uh, a better option. Mm. Uh, yeah. So, so uh, are you eating shellfish or just fish? Uh, probably just fish. So shellfish mm. is digest. It takes, you know, um, up to... 10 hours for shellfish to, to move through the body, whereas, you know, other forms of fish like tuna and that um, 
uh, is actually easily, well, more easily digested. Uh, and for me, that digestive uh, time is, uh, is important. If I'm feeling, I'm feeling heavy in the gut and that's not working properly, then I'm just foggier in the mind. If right. That's working better, then all of a sudden the emotions are, are a little bit more smooth. And I think this is oh, a, big, okay. uh, a big thing with mental health in Australia, you know, and uh, I suppose in New Zealand too, we... Um, We'll uh, we'll diagnose someone for something without actually looking at what's being you know what's causing it. And a lot of people in Australia have got um, a poor digestion and their food combining is not right, and they're not actually mm. their gut work well. And and the gut works we're very much in sync with the, with the brain, you know. Yeah, yeah. as is the heart consistently. Yeah. You know, to have that rhythm back again is empowering. You know. Yeah. So you're saying that if you've got a sluggish gut and it's digesting slowly, then it's going to kind of slow the brain at the same time. And the emotions could be sluggish and slow and dull. Absolutely. And that, that, that translates to depression. <laughs> yeah, that's where I'm heading with this. Yeah, I'm, I, it's interesting. It's not something we've really done a lot of talking about on the AtSource podcast. Mm. Mm. Yeah, it's very important, you know, um, Quick to diagnose anxiety, depression, um, these sorts of things, bipolar, uh, that type of stuff. Uh, you might have heard the podcast I did the other day with her, with Bridget. And uh, yes, I did. Yeah, listen then. Yeah, she was um, diagnosed with um, with with things that uh, were being caused in her gut, but there was no uh, acknowledgement of that. Um, once mm. you that straightened out a lot of the depression. Yeah. But so the neural pathways in, in the mind aren't functioning uh, and firing well. Um, if our gut's not working well, if the gut's working well and all of a sudden we, uh, our mind opens up to work to its potential. And, mm. you know, as I mentioned, we've got a really reactive culture to uh, to the way we uh, we approach things here in Australia. And, you know, I'm trying to do what I can to be able to change that and help people um, mm. be curious rather than judgmental. Yeah, really interesting. I mean, just, just, just on a slightly different angle, you know, my father founded Nature B. He was in his... He had a bit of a midlife crisis and he was just exactly in the place that you were in, but he was in his 50s and what sort of got him going, he had he had burnout in the workplace. He had his own company at the time and he had really bad gut issues and um, wasn't sleeping and just had a very stressful, unhealthy lifestyle. And what motivated him, he just basically started eating raw bee pollen at the time and just had some amazing... A super, it's a superfood because it's very nutrient dense and just had an amazing um, healthy turnaround, just felt a million dollars on, on bee pollen and just became a bit of an evangelist for the rest of his life on this on this life mission. And, and interestingly enough, we have many, many customers in Australia in the regions who are truckies and miners who do long hours you know, shift workers in remote regions who live quite lonely lives, I guess, because of long hours, burning the candle, who talk about bee pollen just for mental clarity, improving their mental health, who just find that it just keeps them alert, helps them through long hours during the night, driving trucks and so forth. Um, and just, yeah, it just gives them the boost that they need, the energy and so forth. So there's some sort of some synergies with what you're saying, Um just and just some synergies with how you know you've expressed, I guess, some of your own life's journey and my dad's journey as the founder, um, and kind of what got him going and the reasons why he got into the work that he's doing today with his own sort of founder's story. So, I guess that 
What's that? Yeah, yeah. Everything just for a reason. And one thing you touched on there is he, he he's giving his food, uh, his body food that's alive. Yeah, yes, very much so. It's plant based. It's nutrient dense, full of packed full of vitamins and minerals and rich in antioxidants. Absolutely. And that was, I guess, just going to lead me to my next question, you know, about how do we help others, you know, because you're doing this work where you're helping so many and reaching the lives, you know, so many lives. And so, so is my dad really and, and the work that he does and helping others with the work that he does. And, you know, how do we help family, friends and partners who are struggling? What, what are your tips, you know, for getting those conversations started? Uh, you wrote a book, you know, A Wink from a Guru, which is a great way to start. But how do we help those that need that helping hand, you know, just to get started? I mean, I'm in New Zealand, so I'm there are tools and resources here, and you're thinking about getting going in New Zealand, which is great news. But where do we start from? Do you know what? It's my dream to be able to have a couple of organisations that are in New Zealand or in regional Australia say, look, we really like what you're doing. We want to be able to support you. you know, uh, not so much how much do you need, but how, how can we go about it? So, you know, say, for example, in New Zealand, um, if we looked at Nelson and little communities like that, we, we set up a strategy to say we want to set up prevention um, uh, interventions in these places then that can happen. We just need the, the support to be able to, to make it happen, you know. Mm. It really takes, takes some, some, some challenging um, uh, situations and the change of thinking, which actually helps flip us around to say, well, no, we actually give a shit about people in our area. We want to do something about it um, and, uh, and actually start to, uh, to invest in that. Uh, you know, and this is where I believe, you know, I'm hoping this decade we're going to see some change in that space, but we just need uh, that skin in the game from organisations to be able to help the journey, you know, that's really what yeah. it's all um, There's no point in, in, in Australia, we have a lot of fundraising that goes on from Beyond Blue and Movember and organisations like that, but no, nothing comes back out to the regional areas. Yeah, yeah. So it's, yeah, that's the issue, isn't it? It's sort of, there's a lot of you know, endeavours going on in cities and in those metros, I guess, but not much going on for the regions, yeah. That's right. You know, my vision with this this charity is to be able to change that and to do the work in the areas that actually, you know, stays in the area and helps the people within the areas, but also that there's support from organisations which can help us on our way, you know. When you're going around the circle of government grants and that, it becomes really tiring. Um, you know, I've just put in for one at the moment, which is going to help set up more circles here. Uh, but, you know, I, who knows what will happen with that. Yeah, so so when we've got the ability to be able to do what we want to do uh, on the front foot, then that actually helps us um, to, to get off to a good start. When we've got a grant, all the, uh, the policies and procedures and, and you know, the governance around that, we actually start off on the back foot. And it's like you're having to perform, you know, uh, through, through restriction. You know, what we, what we do is really powerful and it works really well. We just need people to believe in it and help us start, you know, to be able to deliver more. We're only in these yeah. 
short time, you know, and uh, we don't want to be able to make uh, the most of our lives. And if we can help other people, um, you know, change their perspective in the way that they feel physically and mentally, the more of that we can do, the more rich we can get out there with others and great, you know, and that's um, that's significant. And that is a great return on investment for employers. It has a great return on investment for communities and, and families in general, you know. So yeah. it makes sense to be able to take um, you know, a different way and a different approach yeah. forward, yeah. Yeah. Do you, do you feel like what you're doing could be sort of replicated in New Zealand and in other countries? Absolutely, for sure. Yep. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah. It's something you've thought about. Yeah. It is, you know, we have we have people from, from other, other countries come to these circles. Uh, this particular region is quite multicultural. When you, you get guys into an environment or you, you're in front of people um, and they're, they're a little bit uh, stubborn, once you sort of break down those barriers, you actually start help people realise that we're all the same. It doesn't matter. Sure, we're humans. Yeah, it doesn't. Yeah. You know, and I believe what's yeah. happened in the last few years has actually helped people like you know really change their thinking around that. Mm. Uh, so what we what we do here works. It works really yeah. well. Do you think do you, do you think the focus of your work uh, is really should sit with younger generations so that you can kind of get in early and you know you talk about doing that prevent of work, right? Getting in kind of before the ambulance hits the bottom of the cliff. So do you think getting in and working with younger generations at onset would be a focus for your future forward? Um, because I'm just thinking about, you know, the internet and social media is not really preparing our younger generations to be equipped with that emotional toolbox. So yeah. do you think that's where the focus should be rather than kind of just going for that 35 plus subset? What, what are your thoughts? Definitely, um, I'm really grateful that you brought that up. Definitely, there's a huge need to be able to help you know young men or, or people in general between 16 and 25 while their brains still. Mm. Mm. They can learn what what switches their mind on, what switches their mind off proactively. If they need to be able to flow within both of those, it will keep them stable and well. When mm. they're all the time, there's going to be consequences to that, you know. And um, no matter how hard people try. The body and the, the brain are smarter, and uh, and you'll get a kick up in the arts at some point in time. So, so to be able to provide this education at that level uh, to those age brackets is, is really, really critical and important. You know, mm. uh, and that self regulation is available to to everybody. You know, if we can learn strategies and pathways on how to do it, just like brushing our teeth, we can do things on a daily basis which keep us stable. If young people can get these tools into their life, now they're going to have a great life. Yeah, and are the, and are those you know you. Are those uh, tools that we're talking about and those strategies are they are they sort of cultivated and learned through a talk therapy um, experience in these circle groups like CBT, you know, or is, or is it is it just through men sharing stories and experiences amongst if themselves? Put, if we sat a, um, a group of twenty-one year olds uh, around in a circle, they'd be all sitting there like that, you know, with their arms. Yeah, crossed. arms crossed. Yeah. But eventually, it goes to this, and you know, and it starts to open up. You know, my my vision is to be able to, um, if if we held space for you know for that sort of age bracket, that they that they commit to uh, you know a small part of their day to their well-being. You know, so that that means putting putting plans and strategies in place which support their well-being rather than you know disempowers their well-being. So, being stimulated consistently with mobile devices and things like that is what young people do. 
And eventually, as I said, you know, the amygdala uh, in the mind, in the brain, is, is always switched on. Eventually, that will, will give you a kick in the backside like it did with me. Yeah. Yeah. You know? So, yeah. no matter how hard we try, we can't avoid that sort of stuff. So, to be able to help young people learn what it is to help them feel calm uh, without any distraction um, is really a, a key part of them developing a well-being strategy moving forward. Mm. You know, and that's sort of what you're what you're primarily helping, you know, young young men with is actually that feeling of calmness without always needing to be always on. That's right. Absolutely, yes. Mm. Yeah. That's the whole focus mm. of what we do, what we do. Mm. That's great. And that, that prevents the burnout and it, it, it prevents that sort of overworked, overstressed feeling and, and gives men a space, you know, a, the space to switch the mind off, I suppose. Yeah. And then do you feel at that point that's when men get in touch with their feelings because they can actually switch it all off? Absolutely. Mm. And, and guys are afraid to go there, you know. Um, but uh, once we do go there, we actually see part of ourselves, which um, which is uh, really beautiful. And we um, we need to develop uh, that balance. Otherwise, uh, you look at the Chinese philosophy of the yin and the yang. If you've got too much yang, then you go into uh, big out of balance, but you've got to have the balance of the two. And that doesn't discriminate. That's that's part of being a human and a part mm. of human logic, you know. We've all got this... Um, uh, the system within us, uh, we're going to be able to work well with that system. If we don't work well with that system, then all of a sudden it's when we, we get diseased physically and mentally, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's really interesting. So I guess my uh, last question, and it's an interesting, exciting one, is what are your future goals and wishes for the Outback Mind Foundation? Give me <laughs> give me your wish list. Oh, I'd love, I'd love a, uh, like a wish list. Uh, I'd, I'd love that. I've never really, um, you know, been too focused on um, on that, but uh, it's becoming more and more clear to me now that um, we've got a, a real need to be able to do what we do more broadly, uh, mm. to provide services in, in places where they don't have the services, but also to be able to do what we can to be able to uh, reduce domestic violence here in Australia. Yeah, right. There's a huge problem. I, yeah with guys and a lot of that comes back to uh, you know a lack of self-awareness and a lack of um, uh, ability to be emotionally mature uh, or arrest those emotions as you discussed as well you know if we can start to help guys um, learn how to figure themselves out then these episodes won't uh, won't be as common we have a problem in Australia that there's you know police um, attending an incident every two minutes they're the ones that are talked about, you know, there's probably, probably a lot more than that. So we're locking up people, you know, consistently here uh, for uh, for those sorts of behaviours and others, but no one's actually, like, paying attention to why those behaviours are happening in the first place. You know, they go way back. Let's start yeah. to work on that and help the person start to work on themselves. Then all of a sudden we'll start to see a, a result and return on investment in that area, I believe, for sure. Mm. So, so you're finding that there's quite a significant overlap in terms of that being an issue in, in and around the work that you're doing? Yeah, absolutely, yes. Yep, for sure. You know, um, uh, you know, the men's health and the men's well-being, um, where we're miles away from where it could possibly be, uh, that's, a, that's a focal point. The domestic violence prevention goes hand-in-hand hand with that, you know, too, um, because that's, that's not discriminating from a professional person uh, to uh, someone that's from a low socioeconomic environment. Now, these emotional uh, regulation, um, I suppose, you know, techniques will be able to help people across various levels. 
but uh, guys are being reactive, they're not being proactive. And I suppose the more people we can reach and teach stuff, then we'll start to see, you know, um, uh, better results. You know, filtering through in the future, I would have thought, because there's really not been much done about that at all, or nothing being done about it, that's for sure. What you're saying, that there's not much being done about the domestic, the levels of domestic violence? Not prevention, no, absolutely not, you know. Guys will guys will uh, offend and they'll be punished for that offence. Um, a lot of time when they come out, they they get some guidance around uh, reintegration, but there's not much really else uh, to be able to help them on a um, I suppose a, a pathway of, of building capacity and growth and you know not not reoffending. A lot of people are coming out and they're continually reoffending. Yeah, that's that's a big area which needs to be addressed. Right. So, so are you? So, at the Outback Mind Foundation, are you finding that your um, some of your participants are coming in and they're, they're being part of the Circle program and the reintegration programs that you're offering, and that you're tackling some of those issues pretty firsthand? We'll see guys coming into the Circle, and uh, and basically, you know, they will they will open up about what they've done. Um, okay. You can usually tell in someone's body language or the way they speak whether they're at risk of offending as well. Mm. Um, help them learn how they can switch that off and start to, you know, get back okay. to a state of balance because, you know, there's always a consequence to an action. And uh, if you reduce the uh, ability to be able to step into that action, then all of a sudden, um, you know, we start to be a bit more aware of where we're at. We don't need to behave a certain way. A lot of a lot of domestic violence in Australia is intergenerational too. Mm. So what yes. they're doing yes. is people learn that they've got the power to break cycles now. Yes, that's right. And 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 how and in terms of uh, you know your support, how are you being supported at the Outback Mind Foundation? <laughs> Very little. <laughs> um, we get a few donations and um, uh, a few little grants here and there. I've got a grant to do some domestic violence prevention uh, with Horizon. Uh, just to go into some footy clubs and that and talk about this sort of stuff with, with, yeah. with God. A lot of those are the age back that you were talking about, you know, sort of, um, you know, 16 to, to 25. Okay. Where they're just, um, you know, they're... Little uh, regional regional grants, are they? Yes, yes, only yeah. small. So that's all we have at the moment, but I can only do what I can with that. But mm. the problem, um, you know, the vision is just to be able to do more of it and, uh, and also have more people like me engaged in other communities where they can start to deliver, you know, delivering these, these uh, programs for us, you know. Um, yeah. I'd yeah. like to have a, a great network um, through this that uh, we can all work together um, yeah. to focus on prevention moving forward. Yeah, well, I mean, if people are listening today and they would like to donate, they could always go to outbackmind.org.au and give a little, right? And uh, oh, help to support help to support your great work that you are doing well, that's right cool. here and now. Yeah, it's a tax deduction. Now we've been set up as a DGR, so um, you know everything's fully tax deductible, and mm. uh, uh, you know that's that's really nice. Uh, but yeah, I, I guess in the future. I'd like to be able to see a small community say, we want to do something to support you. Here's 80 grand, and part of that 80 grand is we employ someone to work in that community, you know, part-time. Mm, that's, that's right. The, that's their get, role. Get you know. more people on the ground, yeah, more hands yeah. on deck. That's it. Yeah, so that's, that's your future goal, right, and wishes more, just more more people that can actually uh, make help you to make more of an impact and grow, Yeah. Yeah, well, I certainly uh, when I made the decision to walk away from my liquor and corporate career and becoming yeah. my uh, my salary dropped by ninety percent, 
yeah, that's right. That's it had that. the higher calling. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. you think about that, like when you do prevention work, you don't, you get nothing, but when you work at the other end, you get everything, you know? Yeah, yeah, that's uh, right. So prevention work is where, where we need to go, but um, mm. Mm. yeah. I so, know. Huge, yeah. huge uh, trade-off, right? Yeah, well, I mean, yeah. seriously, it's been it's been amazing talking with you today, and it's really inspiring and 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 proactive the work you're doing. It's not just inspiring; it's proactive and active the work that you're doing in the community and there and in the regions in Australia. And I have so enjoyed talking with you today, and just going to stay in touch with you and watch with great interest. You know what you're doing, and uh, I'm sure we'll we'll be in touch in the future. And if you do come to New Zealand, you've got plans, please reach out. And uh, if I'm in Hobart or if I'm in your neck of the woods, I'll, I'll reach out. Thanks yeah. very much. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> I'm very grateful and uh, keep up your good yeah. work. Yeah, you too. We'll be in touch. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in and joining our conversation. And stay tuned for more episodes. Please rate, review and subscribe. Check out the show notes if you'd like to contact this episode's interviewee. At Source Podcast does not accept any liability for the results of any actions taken or not taken upon the basis of information in this podcast or for any errors or omissions. Those acting upon information do so entirely at their own risk. We recommend that you seek professional assistance from certified doctors for your health and well-being issues.